listening to Law and Gospel on this Open Mic Friday, February the 15th in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. I'm all by myself today. So you can call in with any theological question on your mind. If you're in St. Louis, the number is 821-0850. And anywhere else in North America... Toll free, 1-800-730-2727. That's 1-800-730-2727. You may talk about any theological item you have on your mind, or you may be taking a look at some of the things that we were saying this past week Uh, particularly on uh, creationism and a distinction that we were making. Or you may also want to talk about things we were saying on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, because this was an opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ in a wider level, and we sure did really appreciate that. Yes, Open Mic Friday. So... We've got a call right now. Let's, without further ado, go and listen to Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl. You're on the air. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm calling because you had that Bible study on Wednesday from 1 Corinthians 15, and the, the gospel message is clearly in this Bible study, uh, especially where it says... But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have been fallen asleep. <sighs> uh, I don't and, agree with that. Uh, oh, what? I know. That's not the gospel message. Okay, okay, no. uh, okay. I, I don't want <laughs> Okay, okay. Um, Would you want me to explain that? I think... The reason I called is because I think as if we don't believe that Christ is risen from the dead. I don't think we believe that in our our churches. I, I don't think that it's preached about. I don't think that, okay, I read an article in the Day Star magazine. It says it's the gospel message. Well, and it's they about were... the sanctity of life. And and it doesn't the have sanctity anything to do of... with the gospel message. Okay, I'm missing what you're trying to say here. You're saying I'm that... Saying, re- I, I'm wondering if we really believe that Christ is risen from the dead and that this is for our justification. Yes, I, I don't think there's any problem with that. Uh, but you said more the second time just now that you said Christ is risen from the dead for our justification. That's the gospel. That he rose from the dead is not the gospel. Because the Pharisees believed he rose from the dead, and they were not saved. That's historic faith. What the gospel is, is believing the promises connected to his resurrection. And you may be correct here, Cheryl, that there are those who, uh, they believe that he rose from the dead, but they don't see any application for their life, as you're saying. And that is the job of pastors to make that more clear. Yeah, okay. (laughs) That's what I was, 
I've, I've been thinking about that since I read that article in the, in the Daystar Journal because it says on, on the journal, on their homepage, that, you know, they're, this is a gospel message. And when I read the article, I, I thought, thought to myself, the, the Word of God, the Word of Christ, it was nowhere to be found in that article. Right. A lot of times, gospel just means good news for a lot of people. And so they just twist it, not to be talking about Jesus Christ at all or his resurrection or the benefits that we receive from his resurrection. Because remember, many of the unbelieving Pharisees knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And yet Jesus said, yes, you know the history of the Old Testament, but... Your father is the devil because you don't have trust that I am the Messiah. You don't believe the gospel that I am bringing for the forgiveness of sins. And they couldn't because they understood him only to be a carpenter. How could he be the Messiah? In fact, how could he be God? Yeah, they don't believe the incarnation. Oh, that's a that's a good way of putting it also, that the incarnation that he took on human flesh in order that he could become sin for us and die for our sins. You always have to put the benefit of any of the items, for example, in the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed basically is a good summary of the history of the doctrine which we believe. But the Athanasian Creed is more tuned to the gospel because it explains what's important about the history of the Bible. So you could believe that, well, remember, 5,000 people believe that Jesus fed them with a few pieces of bread and fish. That did not lead them to believe he was the Messiah. They thought he was a bread king and chased after him. And Jesus himself says... You missed the sign that by doing this, I was proclaiming myself to be the Messiah. It was a fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament books. Any other comments? Oh, just thank you for your uh, Bible study that you have on Wednesday. (laughs) Yes. uh, Are you attending it? At any Uh, churches? I listen to everything on Cantio, so yes. Oh, excellent. Yes. And, uh, you know, you can bring people into your home to uh, do that Bible study. And then if you ever have questions, email me about it. I'll be only too glad to uh, respond to you. But thank you very much for calling, Cheryl. Thank you. God bless. You too. We need to be really careful when we talk about what the gospel is. Because there are people who think that if we can prove the history of the Bible, that somehow that makes it easier for people to become Christians. No. An unbeliever is an unbeliever. And there's only one thing that moves them to become a Christian, and that is called the means of grace. And the means of grace is not the history of the Bible. There are... As I understand, atheists, in our other subject we talked about, who believe in a kind of a creationism, but they are not going to be saved because just because you believe that this is a young earth doesn't mean that that is salvation. Uh, By the way, I also want to make this point. 
just because people may believe in macroevolution doesn't mean that they're going to hell. It could be because they were at schools where this was taught and they haven't really been at a church where a pastor can make very clear distinctions in the Bible. In fact, this yesterday really became important for Wes Reimnitz. He phoned me later on. He had a call from one of his friends who had listened uh, uh, to our broadcast and was really quite impressed what, with what he had to hear. In fact, he had kind of forgotten about this distinction I was making between macroevolution and microevolution. We were taking a look at an opinion survey about whether you believed in evolution or not. And most of the questions, as I read them, I would have come down on the side of evolution. For example, humans have evolved over time, or humans have existed in their present form since the beginning of time. Well, I would have said humans have evolved over time. What do I mean by that? Well, within Adam and Eve and their DNA... Yes, there were the Chinese and the Japanese and the Arabs and, and the various cultures and nationalities, but they had to evolve over time, and they were not existing in their present form. So if I took this survey, uh, the people who were writing it would think that I believe in evolution when I do not. Or they had another one. Humans have evolved over time due to processes such as natural selection. God or a higher power had no role in this process. Or humans have evolved over time due to processes that were guided or allowed by God or a higher power. Now, see, I would choose the second one. And people will say, you believe that humans evolved? Well, you got to understand what the word evolution evolve means it means changes and there's no doubt that adam and eve did not talk 200 different languages we're not sure what language they used possibly hebrew but at any rate it wasn't until the tower of babel that languages evolved into quite a few different ones so when you take a look and I, we made the point yesterday in dealing with surveys, you can pretty well get any decision you want by how you phrase and question the survey. For example, and this is one I mentioned yesterday, you could have a survey and say, you wake up in the morning at 2 a.m. and cannot get to sleep. Do you immediately turn on KFUO? That's your first option. Or do you go down and get something to eat? Well, nobody would ever put down they turn on KFUO at 2 a.m. And part of the reason for that is unless you're on the Internet, we're off the air. We're a daytime radio station. So if you have a whole bunch of questions like that, you can end up saying, of all the people we surveyed, nobody listens to KFUO. <laughs> and that was because of the questions not because of the reality. And in both the surveys that Pastor Wes Reimnitz shared with me, 
they make no note of the difference between microevolution and macroevolution. What do I mean by that? It's pretty obvious that every breed of dog was not on Noah's Ark. There may have been two dogs. There may have been a couple of breeds. I don't know. But every breed wasn't there. Where did they come from? God evolved within the species different kinds of dogs. So similarly with human beings, the Chinese were not present in the Garden of Eden, but they were present in the DNA of Adam and Eve. And yet they had to evolve. And you think that all of the kinds of animals were in the Garden of Eden? I really doubt that. But many of them evolved. Now, where do we make the distinction between microevolution and macroevolution? The distinction comes about as to what is meant by you don't go between a species. A monkey did not become a human being, even though that's what I was taught at the seminary. That's right. There was a professor there who believed that God chose two monkeys called one Adam and one Eve. It is so obvious that evolution is not possible from a biblical point of view for the simple reason that death did not enter into creation until Adam and Eve fell into sin. There was no death prior to then. And yet evolution would say there were billions of deaths of animals and whatever would make up whoever we're talking about. So this is Open Mic Friday. Phone me here at 8210850 or 1-800-730-2727. And we'll go and listen to James. Hi, James. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor. Hi. I have a... Three sets of verses. There are only one and two verses. Uh, I'd like for you to give us an uh, understanding of it. Let's try. With, what, are, what are they, first of all? It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. And 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Okay, and what's your point that you're going to be trying to make about these? Well, we were uh, actually, I guess, dialoguing about leadership, uh, proper leadership and spiritual leadership. And so we'd like to ask you uh, about those particular verses. All right, and I know you usually go off the air, okay? Thank you. All right, so let's start off with uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, I want to read verse 4 because this is really important. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So... There are leaders 
who will give the impression that they love being a leader to such a level that their interests really only deal with themselves. They really don't care about people that much, and all they want to do is get uh, make sure that they don't lose their job and this sort of thing. Let, let's see what Romans 12, uh, 9 and 10 have to say before I go on. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Now, somebody is knocking on your door, and you open up the door and they have torn clothes on and they smell alcohol all over them. What are you going to do with such a person? Well, I'll tell you what you're going to do. If it's your brother, you may help him out. If it's a stranger, you may or may not give him something, but you may also just call the police, wondering what's going on here. In other words, to have brotherly affection, and there's a uh, a word in the Greek that it's phileo, where we get Philadelphia, brotherly love. Because of our relationship to other Christians, we tend to help them out more. How about 1 Corinthians 12, 12? For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So you need to read further on to see what that means. Let's say you're the foot. You don't say in verse 15, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. In other words, it doesn't really matter what your particular gift is that God has given to you. You are part of the body of the church of Jesus Christ. And therefore, these three verses that James has shown us are really important to help give us an understanding that in the church we have a different relationship with others because of the relationship Christ has with us. In other words, we're talking about sanctification, not justification. Justification is when God declares us to be righteous in his sight and part of his family. These verses are talking about this is our response to what God has said and done for us. And so it should mean having a different relationship. Let's go on down the line and talk with Steve. Steve, you're on the air. Uh, hi. Um, have you ever read the book, uh, The Hiding Place, by Corey Tinboom? What was the name of it? The Hiding Place. Idle Place? It's, uh, it's very interesting because um, they're being punished by Nazis, but one sister is praying and wishing for the Nazis that she could help them lead them to Christ while the other is boring oh. people being suffer the sufferers instead of the ones causing the suffering. Anyway, it's just a very interesting book, but that really wasn't my question. My question is, uh, I saw a sign, mass-produced sign in a church that said the Bible is like GPS. 
It can sometimes get you where you want to go, but it's sometimes wrong. I wondered what your thoughts were on that, because I thought all the things that appeared to be wrong were explained away by other sections of the Bible or by an understanding of the time period. Yes, um, I just so happened to have one of those in my car, and I was going to a church, and I was following the directions, and I ended up in the middle of a cornfield. Yeah, mine did that to me too, Bon. Ten miles my, away. I'm not sure my Bible didn't, but my GPS yeah. did. <laughs> well, just because we can have an analogy doesn't mean that that's a good analogy for the Bible. I don't know any passage in the Bible I've ever read that is like a GPS that will take us in the wrong direction. It's uh, The Bible is inerrant. That means it's God's word. And therefore, when you say that the Bible can also be mistakes, this is obviously a church that perhaps doesn't like the morality of the Bible. Uh, perhaps uh, the pastor ended up leaving his wife for another woman or... Uh, dealing with homosexuality or abortion and such. And so there are churches, unfortunately, that have that opinion that just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's correct. Whereas I say anything in the Bible is what Jesus is saying to us, and you need to know the context so you don't misinterpret a text. But the texts that we're arguing over are really clear in these churches that don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right on because they are very, um, yeah, they don't they don't think the same things are sins that most of us believe are sins. But um, sometimes when I'm reading Psalms, I feel like it's David talking, and we're supposed to know it's David talking and not necessarily understand it as if this is Jesus' or God's thoughts. Am I wrong on that? I always read the Psalms as though they're the words of Jesus. For example, the most famous one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's no doubt that David is a writer, but the thoughts in it are definitely those of Jesus. And if you go through that, you recognize that Jesus has that faith in his Father. He's made to lie down in green pastures beside still waters. He dies on the cross. His soul is restored. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. So you can go through the Psalms, and I tend to think them as the Psalms of Jesus, that he's praying them, but many of us have the same thoughts through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's how I understand the Psalms. But there's so much about trample my enemies kind of throws me off. Well, who's the greatest enemy that Jesus came to defeat? Satan. Yes. Yes, that's his enemies and all those who are with him. In fact, remember Peter? I'll protect you when you go to Jerusalem. Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan. Because he was now on the side of the enemy. Now, that doesn't mean that Peter went to hell because he later repented of what he had done, etc. And Jesus gave him uh, authority to go and feed my sheep, feed my lambs, etc. But the greatest enemy that God has is the devil himself. And it even says in the Bible that Jesus Christ came into the world to defeat the work of the devil. 
Thank you. Thank you very much for calling. And that's the kind of uh, call we love to hear where somebody is willing to uh, ask us a question. Unfortunately, we're out of time, so we're not going to be able to take the next call. But phone in earlier as we come to Open Mic Friday. We're going to be only too happy to uh, take calls. And the Psalms is really a great book to read. In fact, that they also apply to every one of us, not only to Jesus. It's not at all unusual when I go do a hospital visit that depending on the situation of the person in the hospital, I usually quote to them a psalm that deals with their particular situation and the comfort that can only come from God. And Jesus definitely had enemies, and they were defeated at the cross. And because of the cross, many of those who were his enemies came to faith in him. Hope you hear a good Epiphany sermon this coming Sunday. We're going to be continuing. Epiphany is one of the longest seasons it ever is this year. We're not even starting Lent until March. So on Monday, we'll be taking a look again at Epiphany readings for that particular Sunday as we near the epitome of the Christian year, Lent and Holy Week. I'm Tom Baker. God bless. The Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.